We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. How many of you have gone to one of your homecomings lately? I opened the mail the other day and I've got a letter to, from my high school and we're having a homecoming. It will be our 43rd. I'm getting old. I remember sitting in the church that I grew up in and one of the old men in the congregation was going to his 40th high school reunion. I thought, no one's that old. You can't get there. Uh, and here I am already past that. Uh, think for with me for a minute about if you go back home, if you've lived in another place and you go back home, isn't there a little bit of excitement? Now, regardless of what kind of uh, relationships you might have had or what your hometown was like, your schooling maybe, there's a little bit of excitement when you go back. Do you want to lose a little weight sometimes maybe? You want to look good? You want to wear some nice clothes? You want to drive up in a nice vehicle? A lot of people get caught up in that. and They want to, they, they want to make an appearance. I remember when I graduated from high school, I was in college, I would drive sometimes on Friday evening to where the football game was for my high school. And there's just something that you feel an excitement. Uh, anybody with me on that? You just wonder if people are noticing you're, you're here again and you look different because you're one year older and uh, you've just got the world at your, at your beck and call. I remember those days and they were, they were fond and you would hope that someone going to your hometown, it would be a good thing. This passage, very short tonight, uh, six verses, we're going to look at the day Jesus went to his hometown. And remember, we, we hear much about his birth, how he was born of Mary, the virgin, chosen by God, specially chosen to be a handmaid of the Lord. We hear about the miraculous birth there in the stable, the manger. Eight days old, Jesus was taken to the temple and Simeon raised him up and held him and said, Lord, let your servant now, talking about himself, depart in peace because mine eyes have seen your salvation. God had promised this old man, you will not die until you see the Christ. And when an eight-year-old baby was brought into the temple that day, as was very, very common, but there was something special about this baby. That old man held up Jesus and said, I've seen salvation with my eyes. And so we don't hear a lot about Jesus from that time uh, until he was 12 years old. You remember he was left in, in uh, well, he wasn't exactly left in Jerusalem when his family went there for the Passover. Uh, probably a large crowd. Commentators say go back to Jerusalem during that time for the week of the Passover. Jesus and Mary and Martha and his family, remember Jesus is a big brother. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, went back to Jerusalem for the time of the Passover. It's time for them to leave. They get together in groups and families just like uh, would be very, very common in some times of history in the United States and other countries more common now. And they go a day's journey out of Jerusalem and they, they look up on his time, probably dinner time, and they say, where's Jesus? Where is he at? Have you seen him? Well, he's probably with aunts and uncles and probably with brothers, uh, cousins. And Have you seen him? No, we haven't seen him. They ask around. They can't find him. No one has seen him. And so Joseph and Mary start their trek back to Jerusalem. They've gone a day's journey out of Jerusalem. Now they're going back. It takes them a day, and they can't find him for about a day. It's on the third day, and they find a 12-year-old boy in the temple blowing the minds of all the lawyers and the doctors of the law. 
asking them questions about the Bible that they couldn't even comprehend, answering questions to them. And they were amazed at this child, a 12-year-old. They knew that there was something. They would later say about Jesus, no man spoke like this man. Then from 12 years old to 30 years old, we don't know what Jesus did. It's not recorded in the scripture. Uh, God could have done that. He could have given us a blow-by-blow of Jesus' teenage years and, and, Mary, and Mary and Joseph, what they thought about them. We don't know how long Joseph lived. He's not mentioned again in the scripture. Most likely Joseph, when Jesus' ministry started, has already passed away, but Mary is right there watching all that God is doing. But Jesus, when he started his ministry at the age of 30, he left his hometown of Nazareth and he went to spend time in the cities around. Uh, He spent a lot of time in Capernaum where Peter was from, north of the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been there, it's such a beautiful place, that that, uh, place that God chose. That that basin is just like a, uh, it's in the shape of a harp. And it's a beautiful place. If you read about Jesus uh, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, just north of the Sea of Galilee is the place where that most likely was. And you don't need a microphone. You can speak and your voice just travels down that, that gently sloping hill. And you can just picture Jesus speaking to the thousands there on the hillside, a beautiful, beautiful place. But Jesus has been gone and now, three years later, he's coming home. And you would think, my goodness, what are we going to do for Jesus, the Son of God? He's going to he's going to come home. Now, this homecoming is going to be pretty good. When I was uh, in probably junior high, we had a homecoming that was pretty special in the town that I grew up in. The very first middle linebacker of the Dallas Cowboys. I think he was a middle linebacker. His name was Jerry Tubbs. And Jerry Tubbs was from my hometown. Great football player. He ended up being a coach for the Dallas Cowboys under Tom Landry for a long, long time. Well, Jerry Tubbs was coming home and we had Jerry Tubbs Day in our football stadium. I remember they gave him a horse. I mean, it was a beautiful animal they brought out there. Uh, Tom Landry was there and uh, uh, some of the other Cowboys were there. And it was just a really special and neat time because the local boy had gone out and made it big. And that wasn't the only time they had brought and recognized Jerry Tubbs. He was a fine man, we understand. So think about you going to your hometown. And uh, I think I told you about a year ago, or uh, possibly, that I had gone to my 40th high school reunion and just to give God the glory for this, I'd prayed two and a half hours, Lord, uh, on the trip down there, would you let me share Christ? I was a believer all during those days of my school. I came to know Christ at eight years old. So all these people that I went to school with all my life, they knew I was a Christian. Uh, they knew that I loved Jesus. But I just prayed, Lord, would you let me be able to share Christ with some of these, my friends? I hadn't seen some of them literally in 40 years and guys I want to tell you that when that reunion we got together for dinner and times of fellowship one right after another of my school mates would come up to me and say Mike I got to tell you and I thought okay <laughs> I haven't seen you in 40 years uh, I had to introduce myself to you because I don't look the same and you don't look the same either and 
what's he going to tell me? Mac, I've got to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And I would hear testimonies of these big old tough guys. I'm talking about football players. That, a lot of them I was scared to death of, you know, big old country boys. That, and here they are saying, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And so one would get through it. I'd say, praise God, man. And I'd point to my other brothers in the, in the re- reunion that were Christians. I'd say, have you, have you talked to him? Yeah, I just heard about their life in Christ. Isn't that great? And then another would walk up. One of them walked up to me and I thought, no, surely not. <laughs> and he said, God has been so good to me. The whole night, one of my best friends was a girl that came with tears in her eyes. She was one of the best volleyball players I'd ever seen with tears in her eyes and she said Mike I found out what grace was and I tell you what I had the greatest reunion because one after another that I was praying Lord would you let me share Christ with he'd already been there done a work in their life they were growing in him and it was just a wonderful wonderful time would you agree with me that a homecoming should be a good time It should be a good time. There was a man in the Bible called the prodigal son. He wasn't too sure about what the homecoming was gonna be like for him, was he? I've taken all my inheritance early and I've spent it all in sinful living and I'm about to starve. I'm gonna go back and just beg for forgiveness. I don't know whether my dad will take me in. And do you remember that story? As the father saw him coming, he said, go kill the fatted calf. Bring my ring and my robe and go. And the father ran to the son. And the son said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. It was a great homecoming, wasn't it? In most cases, now the older brother had a little problem for a while, but received his son back because he was coming home. Well, all of those things I've talked to you about so far have been great homecomings. But we've got to realize in this thing called Christianity, there's going to be some homecoming sometime not so good. And that's what this passage is about. Look with me there in Mark chapter 6, those first six verses that Jared read to us earlier. This is about Jesus' homecoming. Now remember, this is in the last year of his ministry. Uh, uh, he is headed to Jerusalem in not very long from now. Uh, most likely this was in the last year. It might have been a little bit before before that, but he's going back home where his family's at, where the people he grew up with. And it says in verse one, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown and his disciples followed him. Uh, I want to ask you the question, who are his disciples? Some of them are people that he had healed and now they're following him. Some of them are ladies like Mary Magdalene who had had demons in her life and Jesus cast those demons out and now she followed Jesus all throughout his ministry. Faithful women took care of Jesus and those disciples for a much uh, a great part of that ministry. Some of them would have been his brothers. The Bible tells us that his brothers didn't really believe in him at first. It was a while before they did. But there were a group of people that were coming back with Jesus. And I thought about that. You know, the the cool kids in our high school would come back and they'd have a real pretty girl with them from college or a real handsome guy, you know, and and I'd come back, just me, hi, how are you, you know? But I did have a pretty girl with me. Her name was Holly uh, later on. Jesus came back with a group of disciples. 
people that were following him, learning from him. He was training them and teaching them. Now that would be significant in Israel. And when Hannah Lee and Daniel go there, they're going to see today, especially on the Temple Mount, they're going to see groups of people gathered together. We would call it like a small group. And they will be seated. <coughs> excuse me. They will be seated in Walmart chairs, little white plastic Walmart chairs. And they will have someone in their midst teaching them the law, the Old Testament law of Israel. Very common. There are rabbis there, and a rabbi had a small group with him. It's interesting when we think about the different groups God wants us to be a part of. Jesus had his one, and that was the Father. He would get alone and go out on a mountain and pray. He would get alone with God. You and I need our one, and that's Jesus. He had his three. Who were they? Peter, James, and John. They got to go see some things the rest of them didn't. <coughs> Excuse me. They got to be closer to Jesus than some of the rest of the apostles at part, uh, some of the time. So he had his one, he had his three, he had his 12. That's a small group. He had his 12 disciples that he poured into and was training to usher in the new covenant and the, the church age. Jesus had his 70 the 70 that he sent out two by two and told them to be faithful and don't take money with them. God's gonna provide for them to go and to preach the, the gospel and heal the sick. And those 70 came back rejoicing for the power that Jesus had given them. So he had his one, his father. He had his three, Peter, James, and John, the 12, the disciples. He had his 70 that he sent out to minister. How many were at Pentecost? He had his 120, the church, the baby church that was gonna begin. And guys, that's a church. You realize the average uh, in America congregation in a church is about 150, about 150. You're sitting in an anomaly uh, to where you have thousands of people in a church. It's not as common throughout the church age by any means. But in the beginning of the church, you remember what happened. The apostle preaches and 3,000 people get saved. So the church grew pretty much that, that day, didn't it? Jesus had his one, he had his three, he had his 12, he had his 70, he had 120 at Pentecost, and then he had the church that went out, he had the group that would go out to the multitudes. You and I need our one, we need our three. Who's on your speed dial? We need our small group, we need our 70, that's our Sunday school. We need our 120, that's our church. You wanna do well in Christianity? you ought to make a little band and put it around your wrist that says, what would Jesus do? And we'd be good to do what he did. So it says, Jesus went out from there, came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. So they're walking back in. Some of them say, hey, Jesus, haven't seen you for a while. How are you doing? Uh, Jesus had been in business with his dad, so he had acquaintances and friends. Who are those people with you? Uh, I could just picture ourselves coming back home when we've been gone for a little while. Nazareth was about 20 miles to where he was going here. And it says, um, when the Sabbath came, verse 2, he began to teach in the synagogue. Now again, this is nothing new for Jesus. When there's someone that is bent toward the teaching of God's word, Jesus had probably taught in this synagogue many times. Um, we don't believe this is the time you probably are thinking of. Jesus taught in his in his hometown synagogue and, and uh, uh, he 
read out of Isaiah what the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would able to be able to do, give sight to the blind and heal the sick and raise the dead. And when he got through rolling up the scroll and he gave it back to them, Jesus said, this day are these words fulfilled in your earring, in your ears. Uh, they took him out and tried to kill him right after that, by the way. He comes back to his home synagogue, probably was not... Um, you know, that's, that's nothing unusual. And he began to teach again. But there's something different this time. The ministry of Jesus, the Son of God, has begun. And the power to change people's lives through Jesus' words is present in that synagogue. And the many listeners, it says, were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things in other words, now we know Jesus, we grew up with him, we know his family, we know all about him. He's talking about things, where did he get that? Did he go off somewhere and study from someone else? Uh, we don't understand. Where did he get these things and what is this wisdom given to him? Uh, we didn't realize Jesus went to rabbinical school. He's been to the seminary of the day evidently because now he's speaking words that he had to have been taught those We've never heard that before. And then thirdly, and such miracles as these performed by his hands. We've heard about Jesus who was born blind and now he's able to see. Do you see what they're saying? They're asking, where'd Jesus get these words? Where'd Jesus get this wisdom? And where did Jesus get this power? And guys, I want to, the, the thrust of this passage is something that's simple, but it's very, very important. They knew Jesus and now they see him in a different light. Uh, when I came home to my hometown, like probably you did, some people noticed there were some things different. You've changed a little bit. Uh, certainly, when as much time has gone by for me to go back to a high school reunion, uh, it was interesting because people would walk in the door and we'd look like this and we'd look and we'd think, that may be who I'm thinking of, but I'm too scared to say it. And we'd wait for them to get their name tag and put it on. Oh, yeah, how are you doing? I knew that was you. And they didn't have a clue who we were, and we didn't have a clue who they were. And it was interesting to see how different people were after the years. There were some people that looked just the same as they did in high school. And that's not fair. But when Jesus came to his hometown, there's some different things about him now. He has power that we had never seen this guy have before. He is speaking words of wisdom. Where did he get that? Words, wisdom, and power. Um, some of you have probably studied some of Paul Tripp's books. He wrote Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, a beautiful book. He wrote Dangerous Calling. Any of you that are in ministry serving in the church, you read Dangerous Calling. He came here and did a a marriage conference several years ago, but before that Friday night, he, he spoke to the staff of Denton Bible Church and he talked about dangerous calling. And he talked about several different warnings for people in the ministry. And I thought, you know, at that time I'd been in the ministry for a lot of years and I thought, uh, this, this, is, this is gonna be, you know, routine. And I wanna tell you what, he just opened up and everything that he mentioned, you be careful to not fall into that trap I had done before. And I thought, where'd this book come from? You know, why didn't I have this book when I was 20 instead of all this time later? 
One of the things he warned about is very important. Those of you who know your Bible, uh, how many Bible verses did you learn in Awanas? About a thousand. Did y'all hear that? About a thousand. Anybody got her beat? Would you stand up, please? I want to come and talk to you. Uh, Be careful. Be careful, Miss Stone, because he warned against familiarity can make us passive toward the will of God. What do I mean by familiarity? Been in church all your life, you've heard sermons on this. I was driving down the road one day and the radio came on and somebody said, this preacher's gonna preach on on Psalm 23. Well, you know what came to my mind? I've been a preacher a lot of years. I've studied that. I've diagrammed the sentences. I can quote it to you. I have read it over and over and over again. I've preached on it for many years. I've taught on it. I know the words. I know the phrasing. I know, and my thought driving down the road that day was, I'm familiar with that. And there's a tendency as a humanist to kind of check out. Well, it was, uh, it was Tony down there at Oak Cliff Bible uh, that was going to teach on the 23rd Psalm. And he began teaching these words that I know very well. And in just a few minutes, I was just shaking my head. Oh, Lord, please forgive me. <laughs> For being caught up thinking I knew that the, the word of God so well that I wasn't going to receive anything from this. And he opened up that passage in ways I've never seen it before. And to this day, has affected my life and just been wonderful. Beware of familiarity. How would it apply here? We know Jesus. You're going to tell us that he is now saying he is God's son. He came from heaven. He didn't come from heaven. He was born in Bethlehem. We know all about it. He's been in Nazareth, our hometown. Be careful of familiarity. I know that passage. I've been through that book before. I've been discipled by so-and-so and Be careful because it can be a trap to where we turn off the work of the Holy Spirit. They asked one of the men that was the most intelligent, gifted mind that had ever lived, sat him on a stage like this and put a chair for him to sit down. Great crowd gathered to listen to him and they wanted to ask this man a question. They asked him, what is the most profound thought that has ever crossed your mind? Now this man was intelligent, his IQ was sky high. He had accomplished many things in his life and they sat to hear from this brilliant man what is the most uh, important thought that has ever crossed your mind. And as they all listened for that man to speak, he said, the most important thought that has ever crossed my mind is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. With all of his education, all of his intellect, he said, all of those things are less important than what I learned in Sunday school. So we need to be careful of familiarity. I already know that. We're gonna preach out of Mark 6. I already know that passage. Uh, We're gonna have a small group. I've already been through that book 16 times. And what we're doing is we're saying, God, I'm not expecting you to work very much because I've already been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Oh, be careful. Be careful, because the most familiar passage you have ever known in your life, God can speak to it to you, through it to you tonight. Because this is a living book. It's not a history book. It's not just facts. It's not a math book. It's the book from God. 
So be careful of familiarity. They said in verse 3, is not this the carpenter? See, they say, we know where he came from. We know what kind of work that he did. We know who his parents are. Now notice the next phrase. This is real important. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now we read that and we don't think very much about it, but I want to tell you that was a great insult because in the Jewish day of that day, if they were going to talk about someone, almost all through the scripture you find he was um, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Who are James and John's mom? We don't know. Almost always a Jew was recognized by his daddy's uh, lineage. And to say, is not this Jesus the son of Mary was an insult. Not that it's against you ladies in any way, but it was like Jesus was, was not like everybody else. And we're going to just say the son of Mary here. A Jewish man would not have been called a son of his mother. He would have been called a son of his dad. They didn't say son of Joseph at this time. Beware of being so familiar with the things of God that you don't trust in the power of God to change your life. I tell you, it can happen. You go to church, are you a Christian? You ask someone, yeah, I've been in church since I was born. Been in church all my life. Be careful. Because some people that have been in church all their life have the hardest times in life because we think all this is, I know it all. I got it. And we turn the spigot off, the power for God to work in our life. It can happen. It can happen to any of us. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Insult. And brother of James and Jose and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us. Guys, we've got to realize something. Jesus came from a big family. These are all half-brothers and half-sisters that were born to Joseph and Mary after Jesus. How would you like to have Jesus as a big brother? I think that'd be pretty cool. Now, I've got a big brother, and I've got a younger brother. I learned a lot how to treat my younger brother by my older brother. Some of it was good. I'll just leave it right there. <laughs> Jesus is a big brother, and he's got brothers and sisters. And people have asked all the time, well, when, they saw, when Jesus saw the bird fall to the ground when he was eight years old, did he go out there and heal the bird and it fly off and all of his brothers and sisters say, ooh, Jesus, do it again, do it again. Probably not. Because Jesus wasn't a showman. It wasn't about doing miracles for the sake of showing his power. The miracles came when his ministry started to turn people to the word of God. But still, he was a big brother. So they all know us brothers. Now, are you sometimes known by your siblings? Sometimes, any of you that are a younger brother or sister, you showed up at junior high or middle school and the teacher said, what's your name? Is so-and-so your big brother or your big sister? And you say, yes. And they just look at you like, okay. They've already got you pegged, don't they? I had three older brothers and sisters and when I got to school, they said, who's your older brother? Rocky? Uh-huh. Rocky kind of had a reputation before I went to the same school he did. And that's what they're saying to him. We know who this is. He's coming home. He's got a group of people with him, but don't ask me to believe. We don't know where he's got this power. We don't know where these words came from. We don't know where his wisdom, his education, his knowledge is coming from, but this is Jesus. He's a carpenter. He is the son of Mary. 
And the Bible says his sisters were with us and they took offense at him. Now how could that happen? Why wouldn't they just accept Jesus back and say, wow, something must have happened in your life. God, the God of Israel, must be doing something. Jesus, sit down and tell us about that. Tommy, not uh, too long ago, too many months ago, was asked to go back and to speak, to teach a lesson at his high school reunion. Can you imagine that? Tommy going back where he grew up and teaching God's word. Uh, I was sitting in a, in a very well-known person's home with what you would call celebrities uh, all around us with Tommy one time a few years ago, some other staff people. And some of the greatest musicians on the face of the earth were there, people from all over the world, very talented, uh, you know, all kinds of awards on the walls, very well-known television. And here we are sitting there, and Tommy opens up his Bible and teaches a great lesson out of Romans chapter 4 that all of us sitting in that room can't get saved by anything we do. Abraham couldn't be saved by his works. He had to be saved by faith and the work that God did in his life. And all those famous people, those talented musicians and those people that traveled around the world sat in silence listening to Tommy as he taught the Bible. What I'm said, I thought I was coming here to play some music. I didn't know I was coming here for church. But they sat in silence. Why not for Jesus that day? Why wouldn't they not roll out the red carpet and say, you're home. Thank you for coming back to your hometown for a little while. Could we talk to you? Would you pray for me? Oh, Lord Jesus, can I tell you about what's going on? They looked at Jesus how? Did they see Jesus spiritually at this moment? No, they see him humanly. Are you and I supposed to look at one another as a human only? The Bible teaches us in the book of Corinthians that we should think about ourselves no longer according to the flesh. For if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are new. And we don't look at one another as the person we used to know. I moved here with my wife uh, in 2008. We moved to Aubrey, 10 minutes north of here. And one of my friends that I'd grown up with in high school that I'd seen one time in, in 40-something years, 35 years, said, I hear you're moving. We live in Prosper. Can we all meet for dinner? And we, we walked into that place, and I looked at him, and he looked at me. And I thought, well, okay, I remember you from school. We played sports together. You know, I think I spent the night at your house one time. Uh, I know you. How's everything going? And this man that I had grown up with, never met his wife, of course, before. He had never met my wife. But I knew a lot about him, and he knew a lot about me. And this man, all uh, who's a builder now, very successful in the Dallas area, when I heard him open his mouth and tears start coming out of his eyes about what Jesus had done in his life, I met an old friend and a new brother that night. I knew a lot about him from when we grew up, but the man that I'm sitting across from the, from the table tonight is not the same man that I grew up with. He doesn't talk the same, believe me. I bet you he doesn't go to the same places he used to go. He doesn't run around with the same people that he used to run around with. 
And now I've seen him and as a man of God. Takes a mission trip, takes a group of people to Ecuador every year. Takes 2,000 pairs of shoes. And he goes up into the mountains of Ecuador and washes the feet of the little children. Puts brand new socks and brand new shoes on the feet of those little children in the mountains of Ecuador. The whole time they're washing their feet, they're telling about Jesus. And many of those little children pray to receive Christ. I saw the video of that and I saw, that's my friend from high school. And I started to cry. Because I didn't see him the same anymore. He is a brother in Christ now. And I'm not going to look at him, humanly speaking. I'm going to see the difference Christ has made. But these guys are just looking at Jesus. Where he grew up, what work that he did, who his family was, who his children, who his uh, brothers and sisters were. It's interesting in John chapter 7, verse 5, the Bible says, even some of his own brothers did not believe in Jesus. Uh, I'm teaching out of John, the Gospel of John on Wednesday mornings, and uh, one of Jesus' brothers, Judas, asked him, not Judas Iscariot, the Judas that was his brother, Jesus had said to them, I'm going to disclose myself to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. And it was one of his little brothers that said, Jesus, how are you going to disclose yourself to us? Now, I think what he was thinking was, I know all about you. We grew up in the same house. You and I have been through everything together. We played together. We fought together. We wrestled together. I know all about you, Jesus. How are you going to disclose yourself? But you know what was different about that verse in John chapter 14, I believe it is? He said, Lord Jesus. That brother had come to know who Jesus was. And he said, Lord Jesus. He didn't say, big brother Jesus. He could have name dropped and said, yeah, that's my bud. But he said, Lord Jesus, how is it you will disclose yourself to us and not to the world? So I ask you the question, how do we approach Jesus? Do we just look at him humanly? How do we approach one another? I promise you, there was a man a long time ago that... uh, said that every time he met someone new he would say hello he'd shake their hand and he'd say would you forgive me and over and over again the person he was meeting would say what to forgive you why are you asking me to forgive you I've never even met you before and he said I know that but I'm a human and I fall short and I'm going to fail you sometimes so I'm going to go ahead and ask you would you forgive me we shouldn't look at ourselves humanly speaking at our past or our failures where we fall short we ought to see people as new brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of us as older, we ought to look at these young adults over here as our, our, our young adult men and women of our families. We ought to see an older woman in the church who's a woman, a, a, a mama of the church, and we ought to think of her as our mom or our grandmother. We ought to see an older man as a statesman and show him great honor. We don't look at people according to the flesh, and they were looking at Jesus according to their flesh. If we do that, that stands in our way of believing who Jesus is. If we go to our hometown and we preach Jesus, if someone just says, I remember what you did on Saturday night and now you're telling me about Jesus. If we look at them humanly speaking, it keeps us from believing in the work that Christ can do. It says, so they took offense at him. Uh, It's interesting, all of those brothers and sisters, uh, Jesus' family, pretty large. How many of them were at the foot of the cross when he was dying? Mama. I tell you what, 
I don't know who your mama is, but if you've got a praying, godly mother, uh, you are a rich person. You thank God for that right now where you're seated. If you've got a mama that loves Jesus and loves you and prays for you and is a mama bear when she needs to be to protect you, you thank God for that. What a gift you've been given. Yeah, right there, I see that. You thank God for that. Mama was at the cross of Calvary. All brothers and sisters, they were gone somewhere. But mama was there. Verse four, it says, Jesus said to them, this is really important, I'll go quickly. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his own relatives, and in his own household. Now, a prophet here, he's talking about someone who's working for the Lord. And he said, I'm gonna tell you something. A person that serves the Lord, there's gonna be honor in almost everywhere he or she goes. There's gonna be honor except their hometown. They're gonna have the least amount of honor sometimes from their own family and from the people they grew up with. That's just the way it is. I pastored a church for, uh, and ministered for about 30 years in my hometown, in my hometown. A lot of good things can happen there and they did happen and they're still happening. But I tell you, it's different. I've been blessed to be here for several years now and it's different, it's different. A prophet's not without honor except in his own hometown, among his own relatives, and his own people. The people of Nazareth are a picture of Israel. Jesus came to the Jew or Gentile first. Did you hear Tommy this morning? He came to the Jew. He came to Israel. And Israel rejected him. We know who your dad was. We know who your mom was. We know what your job was. We know where you came from. Surely you can't be the Messiah because we know all about you. When we act and we think humanly like that, instead of looking spiritually, that hinders us from believing what Jesus said. I do want to uh, encourage you in one way, but prepare you in another way. You are sometimes, if you're serving the Lord and you're loving him, there are going to be sometimes even somebody of your own family rejects the message. Be prepared for that. Don't let it stop you at all. Uh, some of you are shaking your heads. We've been there, haven't we? The ones that you love the most and that know you and love you, even though they can't deny that something's changed your life, sometimes they're the hardest to minister to. I think that's one of the questions I'm gonna ask when I get to heaven. God, why is it hard to minister to our own family? Notice what it says in verse five, very important. He could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he wondered at their unbelief. You may say, Jesus wondered at something. He, all, he knows everything. He is omniscient. Jesus marveled. He is a human also that is developing. He's not availing himself of all of his deity at all the time. And it said he marveled. He wondered that they didn't believe. There's an important consequence for unbelief. Jesus couldn't do very many miracles there. And we need to keep that in mind too. If we don't believe God's word, he can't perform his word as much in our lives. Oh, he still loves us, feeds us, takes care of us in so many ways. But Jesus couldn't do as many miracles in his own hometown because they didn't believe in him. Later on, Jesus would say, if the works that had been done in certain cities were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented a long time ago. Some cities saw more miracles because they believed who Jesus was. Some countries will see God work more in that country because they believe in God. Where's America today? 
We have seen God work in this country. Where are we today? A great number of our people say, we don't need you anymore. We've got it all made. We don't need you anymore. He could do no miracle there except laid his hands on a few sick people. He wondered at their unbelief. So I want to encourage you, go home, have a homecoming, and look forward to it. It's exciting. I hope you have great friends and family. Rejoice. Go to those football games, those other things, and see everybody. But also be prepared. Also be prepared. It's not always a, a great homecoming. There'll be some that might not know Jesus yet. And Christian that's serving in the church, be prepared. Some people of your own family, some people of your own school that you grew up with, some people of your own community will be the ones that don't believe. The main thing is that we don't let that stop us from serving our Lord. We keep right on. Uh, would I want everyone in my family to accept what Jesus has done? Absolutely, but should I stop if they don't? I can't stop. I've got to keep serving Jesus, and you need to keep serving Jesus no matter where you're at. Not long ago, I went back to the church that I grew up in, and uh, as a little boy from 6 to 18, hadn't been there one time, I think. I hadn't been there to church since the 1970s. And they'd asked me to come preach there. And I stood in the same pulpit that I did at 16, at 18, and at 19 I was holding Sunday night services. And, you know, you use that word surreal. We use that a lot, but it really was. I'm standing where I was in the 1970s. Now, I'm a little heavier than I was then. My hair color's a little different. There are a lot of things that are different about that, but it just took me back in time. The building's exactly the same way it was. I know every inch of that building. Uh, I grew up there. I know all about it. And there were a lot of people still there that had cared for us and our family when we were, uh, my brother and I were young boys in the church, still there. And I got to tell them, thank you for loving us and for loving my mom during the time that she was sick and died. I stood a few feet away from my mother's where the funeral was held for my mom. It was a homecoming for me. It was also a homecoming because that's the, on the parking lot of that little church was where I first met my wife. She got out of a station wagon, two twin girls, basketball practice on the parking lot that I was gonna coach her in basketball. And that's the first time I saw my future wife. We've been married almost 33 years now. God has a fun way of doing those things. So that was a special place for me. It was a homecoming. And those people were kind to me that day. They didn't take me out and try to stone me and throw me down the cliff. I was glad for that. I heard a story of a man that had served in his hometown for many, many, many years. And one of his schoolmates had gone off and made it big. He'd become famous, made a lot of money. He was... He was very well known around the world and he was coming home and they were gonna give him a parade. They were gonna give him the key to the city. They were gonna have a huge celebration for this man who had gone off from this hometown and made it good, made it big. He was famous now and they were gonna celebrate him with a huge celebration. And this preacher that had been there in his hometown all those years was sad. And his wife asked him, what's the matter? And he said, oh, I'm just sad today. She said, you need to go talk it over with Jesus. So he gets alone and he starts praying. He says, Lord, I just don't understand. And he, he's conversing with God about what's going on. 
Lord, uh, I'm happy for my friend coming home. I'm, I'm glad that he's made a lot of money. He's famous. He's done well. Uh, I'm glad he's coming home. They're giving him the key to the city and parade. I don't, I, I'm glad for all that. But Lord, I've been here this whole time. I've served you for 50 years in this town and they've never given me a parade. They've never had a party for me. I've been here in my hometown, Lord, but the celebration has never been here for me. And he said through his prayers, God answered him and said, son, you're not home yet. You know those three people that I told you at the beginning of the service tonight that we need to pray for their families? They're home. They've already had a homecoming that is greater than any eyes ever seen, any ears ever heard about, or anybody's ever conceived in their heart. They're home. And you may never, never get a parade in your name in this world. They may not throw a celebration. You may not have a big party. But wait till you get home. I'd never thought it much about it much before, but how great was the homecoming, do you think, for Jesus? after he came to this earth as a little baby, lived a sinless life, was arrested and beaten and crucified on a cruel Roman cross, laid in a grave. He was raised from the dead. He ascended back to the Father. He comes back in the gates of heaven. You don't think there was a celebration? Oh, that's the homecoming that I would have liked to have seen. So go to your high school reunion, go to your college reunion, go back to your hometown, say hello, let them look at you and see how different you are, but make sure they see how much you love Jesus. And I guarantee you, it'll work for good. I used to sing a long time ago in the church I grew up in, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I shall look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Some of our loved ones are already there, aren't they, Charlie? They're already there, aren't they? There'll be a day. It's hard to say goodbye here, but it's going to be easy to say hello there. There'll be a day. It'll be a great homecoming because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this short passage here, Jesus should have been treated a lot better in his hometown. He should have been treated a lot better by his family. But he went through those things to give us examples of things that, that we might go through. Help us to be faithful, whether our brothers or sisters, our moms or dad, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, whether they come and say, praise God for what he's done in your life or they reject the message. Help us to be faithful, to keep on with you, Lord. And we don't seek a big parade here in this world and they don't have to give us the keys of the city. The rewards that we want, Lord, will be when we bow before Jesus in that place called heaven. And to hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful, boy of your master. Oh, Lord, let there be a homecoming that's better than anything we've ever dreamed of before. And let the first one we see be Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.